There she is. There's Susan. Hi, Susan. This week's episode is brought to you by Susan, the voice recording of Zoom, not sponsored. <laughs> I got that way too full. Oops. I don't see a problem with that. <laughs> oh, my gosh. I, well, okay, so my, my logic was that I was going to fill it with a lot of ice because that way it lasts longer. Mm-hmm. Well, we're here now. So here we go. Hello. It feels like forever since we've recorded. <laughs> it's been a little while. Yeah. And this yeah. is the beauty of why you record multiple episodes at one. So we're going to shout out to all of our patients in the psych ward. So if you want to skip ahead 15 to 20 seconds, you're welcome to do so. We do have some new patients, which is very exciting. But hello to everybody in the United States, the United Kingdom, India, Ireland, making its way up the list. Australia, Bulgaria, Jamaica, Russia, Belgium, Canada, Germany, Italy, Sweden, Portugal. That's a new one. Portugal's new. So hello, Portugal. We're happy to have you. El Salvador, Nigeria. Is Nigeria new? And Nigeria is new as well. I think so. Okay. Well, hi, Nigeria. Oman, that's new. I hope I'm saying that right. And hello to Norway. That's also a new one. So Norway is new. The United Emirates, E-M-I-R-A-T-E-S. Yeah. That's like where Dubai is. Oh, well, hello. They're also new. So it's happy to have you here. So many new faces. Hello to Albania, Cuba, Spain, Iran, Mexico, the Philippines, Poland. Poland is new. I think Mexico is new too. Hello. We're happy to have you guys here. And South Africa and to everybody in between who is unknown and hidden. So thank you all so much for being here. We're so happy to have you. If this is your first time here with us, hello, I am Darcy. This is Shannon. And we are amazing hosts of Take a Killer Two Brunch, a true crime and sunny spooky podcast, paranormal kind of podcast. So welcome. We're happy to have you. Yeah. Okay. So I guess this is my episode, right? We're starting off with mine. All right, you guys. So I have decided to, there was a request that was made by a coworker of mine. We'll just, we'll call him Aaron from Radiology. Aaron from Radiology, thank you for giving this, this topic, this sub. I am doing the best that I can with it because it is a lot. You gave me a whopper of a case. And here we are. So I'm going to be telling you guys today about Robert Ben Rhodes. Have you ever heard of him? Yeah. So the reason why he brought him up is to this Arizona kind of relate. I mean, he is also known as the truck stop killer. Ooh, okay. Yeah. So I'm going to tell you guys about Robert Ben Rhodes. Starting off, we're going to talk about him. So he was born November 22nd, 1945, in a town called Council Bluffs, Iowa. His parents were Faye Rhodes and Ben Rhodes. In the beginning, initially in his childhood, he was more raised by his mother. His father was actually in the military. And he was in the army serving overseas. He was 
originally like a normal child, but as he started growing up into more of like his teenage years, he showed signs of being more of like a troubled individual. As we all know with these killers, and this is actually, I forgot to start off by telling you guys, this is a serial killer. So this is one of the first that I'm truly doing. Bear with me because like I was telling Darcy through my notes, doing serial killers is not easy, you guys. It's a whole lot of information. So yeah, he showed signs, like I was saying, of being a troubled individual. He would get into fights, oftentimes getting arrested, just was kind of like your typical outraged teenage kid. I guess you can say. Eventually, though, he did try to get his life together. He kind of followed along the same paths of his father and ended up joining the military. His dad eventually did come home. So it's not like his dad was gone forever in the military. No, he, he, he did come home. So he had somewhat of a relationship with his father. And I think that's where he kind of was like, okay, I'm going to go in the military like my dad. Now, his dad wasn't a perfect person, though. So unfortunately, in 1964, that would make what him like 19 years old Robert was 19 years old when his father would commit suicide now this is a little bit of foreshadowing you guys because his father would actually commit suicide while he was in jail so his father was actually arrested for basically molesting a 12 year old girl so you don't like pedophiles especially in prison no, it, so he committed suicide in jail before the trial, which to me is just shitty because, I mean, the poor parents of that 12-year-old girl just never really got the justice and everything, and his dad took the easy way out. Anyways. Yeah. So if that's, like, you know, something to just keep in the back of your mind, you guys, is that, you know, his father was not the perfect person either. And I took that bit as, like I said, a bit of a, like a foreshadowing. Now, fast forward a few years, Robert himself would actually end up getting dishonorably discharged from the Marines because his past kind of caught up with him. Honestly, like he couldn't be on a straight and narrow. He couldn't be a good person. And so he actually committed a robbery and was found and arrested, therefore being dishonorably discharged. So now his life is kind of like in limbo. He's trying to figure out what he's going to do with his life. And in 1970, he decides, hey, I'm going to be a truck driver. You know, that's a perfect job for me. I'm going to do that. Drive around. Yeah, yeah, yeah. it's going to be perfect. Unfortunately, because he was a truck driver, you guys, this would be kind of like the catalyst, the mechanism that reportedly he would kill around 50 women. Hence giving him the name, the truck stop killer. A big thing to note about Robert would be that one of his MOs and things that we are going to be constantly seeing throughout his crimes is that he is a sexual sadist. That's kind of his thing. He takes pictures, does all that. And that's one of his favorite things to do is to take the pictures of his victims. I really want to try to go through this episode with you guys in a different way, because like I said, I, I'm not super familiar with going through a serial killer I also, like I was explaining to Darcy earlier, is that I want to kind of go through what you guys think about the term, are people just purely evil or born evil? So we'll go through that towards the end, but I'm going to kind of start out by talking to you guys about kind of what they, what people consider like his first confirmed murders. It is speculated though that he 
has been committing murders for a very long time. And the first convicted ones though occurred in 1990. And it was that Patricia Walsh and Douglas Zykowski. So what Robert would do is oftentimes he would pick up women at the, the truck stops, basically. They're called lot lizards is what he liked to say. He'd pick up women there. Also, his favorite thing to do, because back then it was very different than nowadays, many people chose the option of hitchhiking, which now we know because of people like Robert Ben Rhodes, don't do that. It's a bad idea because you never know who's going to pick you up. So Patricia Walsh and Douglas Zakowski were just your average newlywed couple. In November of 1989, they decided to hitchhike from their home in Seattle to Georgia. And as their friends would say, they were kind of preaching along the way. They were Christian-based. They wanted to get to Georgia, so they figured they were going to hitchhike. And whoever they picked up, they just kind of like wanted to spread their word and their beliefs and stuff like that. So Robert would reportedly have picked them up in Texas. So they got all the way down to Texas. So he picked the couple up. And unfortunately, per what investigators could gather, he basically killed Douglas almost immediately. He had no use for Douglas. He was just like, that's the guy, whatever, kill him, done with him. Because what he really wanted was the females. Patricia would, they say roughly, be imprisoned for about a week, if not a little bit longer, where he would continuously torture and rape her. And ultimately, she met her demise via gunshot wound. So, like I said, they were able to figure out that based off where the bodies were found, where and how quickly they were killed. So, Douglas's body would eventually be found off of I-10, they say just east of a town called Ozona, Texas. And, but actually it wasn't even to be found until 1992, which was two years after the crime. Sorry, you guys, my notes just kind of skipped through kind of crazy here. So did he just decide one day, I'm just going to, whoever I pick up is going to die? Like that just seems like there was a huge jump from I'm going to be a truck driver to I'm just going to murder this dude and chuck him out the door. So that's the thing is that like, there's a lot about Robert Ben Rhodes that people need to understand. And towards the end, I'll go into it a little bit more. But the sexual sadism is really like that where he starts out at. And it's through his sexual desires that, you know, he would pick women up and basically torture them and get super enjoyment out of it. And mm -hmm. with these hitchhikers, unfortunately, like, you know, at least some were smart and that they weren't completely alone. A lot of the times they have like a male with them because... As females, you know, we think, okay, we're a little bit more protected with a male presence with us. So, mm -hmm. like, for example, with Patricia, what's her name? Patricia, right? Yeah. Patricia was with her, her new, or new husband, I should say, because they were married. And she's, you know, they, they think, you know, you think there's a safety in that. But really, when you're, you guys are both getting into a vehicle with an unknown man, like, a lot can happen. And so it's a sexual sadism that... I'll, I'll basically just so that it makes sense for you guys like that's what robert ben rose was he was a sexual sadist and with these hitchhikers if there was a like another individual especially male they just they were done he was shot killed them because he wanted the female to torture to torture 
So I think that's what really started is that his fantasies and his needs and stuff like that just continue to spiral into the more and more and more. So Patricia, like I said, she was eventually killed too. And her body, unfortunately, wouldn't be found until 13 years after the crime in a, basically some, an area called Millard County, Utah. So somehow along the way, he kind of spiraled back, probably through his trucking logs. He had to spiral back on the way back to Seattle or in that Washington area. And he eventually dumped her body. So that's how they were able to kind of picture and figure out based off of where the first body was found to where Patricia's body was found. Kind of like mm-hmm. the timeline of how long she was in prison. So Robert Ben Rose, he continued on the spree of just picking people up whether it be at the truck stops or hitchhikers. So I'm going to tell you about another one. So that's, those are the first kind of, like they say, confirmed known are Patricia and her husband. So keep Got those it. two in mind. Next, we're going to move on to Regina K. Walters and her boyfriend. Like I said, there's a lot of times people are traveling in couples. So her, Regina K. Walters was traveling with her boyfriend, Ricky Jones. So they say it was shortly after the time that he would commit the murders of Patricia Douglas. Robert would then pick up the hitchhikers because they were also hitchhiking. Regina K. Walters and her boyfriend, Ricky Jones. And just to keep in mind, you guys, Regina herself was only 14 years old. So it's kind of sad. She's very young. So this is, we're now from towards the end of 1989 into the early 1990 time, which is when the incident with Patricia and Douglas. We're moving forward, just not even that much period of time, you guys, to February of 1990. So like that's reportedly the time that they were picked up. And just like before, Robert would kill Ricky, the male, almost immediately and get rid of him because he didn't need him in the picture. And he would hold Regina hostage for weeks. Like it almost extended even longer. So for weeks, he would hold her hostage. And what they would call, basically, he used his truck as a traveling torture chamber. Like, oh, that's shit. Terrifying. Like, if you can imagine, the perfect way to do a crime like this is where you're constantly moving. And that's what it was, is that he, once he had his victim, his female, they were, like, his prisoner. And just trying to even, like, you can't scream, you know, you're stuck in this truck. You're in the middle of nowhere on a road with nobody else. Like, you're praying that he gets pulled over, which is unlikely because he's driving just a semi-truck like any of the thousands of thousands of others on the road. Mm-hmm. You're, you're basically, you're in that state of mind of like, am I doomed with this? And a lot of the times they were. Let's see here. So what they found with poor Regina is that, of course, like I said before, you guys, one of his favorite MLs and one of his favorite things to do was to take photographs. Now, in regards to the Regina Walters case, he had numerous photos of her. Some of the most haunting ones, you guys, were there was one that I found on the Internet and we'll probably try to post it for you, too. I, I do kind of remember offhand seeing this somewhere, like maybe in the news. I don't know if you do, Darcy, because like I said, this is 1990, early 1990s, which I know we were just being born not to truly tell people our age. But but this case kind of extends out farther and further. And you guys will you guys will hear that. But I do vaguely remember hearing 
and seeing this photo. And it's sad because what he would do was he would take photographs of them. And this one was where she was standing almost like in a barn-like area. She was wearing a black dress. He'd dress them up. She was wearing like these oversized heels that you could tell just weren't hers. And she just looked like in utter terror. Like she did not want her photograph taken. She was scared. And she had her whole head was shaved. He had cut all of her hair off. She had this long, beautiful, like dark brown hair. And he just completely shaved it off. So some weird, odd things about the case of Regina was that during her captivity, as they were traveling, Robert actually let her use the payphones. So wherever they were at, she was able to kind of call her dad. That's immediately who she called. She would call her dad and tell them, you know, what was happening to her, that he cut her hair off and all these things. And her dad was just helpless because like, she probably oftentimes didn't know where she was even. You know, if you're stuck in a truck, you don't know where you're at. All of a sudden you're dropped off in this location. Like if she doesn't know where she's at. And even then, even if there was a sign or something that she could have said like, hey, I'm here. What are they going to do? They're just going to get in the truck and travel again. And any truck looks like every other truck on the road, you know. So it was very hard for Regina to get the information that was needed in order to help her. Finally, though, unfortunately, Robert felt that he had abused her enough. And I'm sorry, you guys, this is a little bit of trigger stuff. It's kind of brutal here. But he, some of the things that he did to her was torture her with fishing hooks and other things, basically like on her genitalia. Like it was rough. She had bruising when they finally found her, just bruising scattered throughout her entire body that really went the length of time that she was being tortured because they were in various different states. And how he killed her, it's pretty brutal in itself. So I don't know, have you ever heard of something called a, I think it's either balling or I think it's balling wire, garrote. Balling wire? No, I've never heard of that. So a balling wire garrote, you guys, is like... The way I can describe it, because I had to look it up, and I hate looking up this stuff. Like, even the fact that my Google has this is just like, no. <laughs> but the fact that it's on my Google, I'm like, Ugh, cringe. So what it is, is if you can imagine, like, a small, probably, like, a couple feet of, like, wire or string or whatever it is, and you attach, basically, on the ends of each of the wire, in a sense, like, handles. So you have a handle on the okay. end, and it's, like, a shorter string. And as you can probably surmise, it is used to strangle somebody. Got it. Okay. So eventually, once Robert had his fun with poor Regina, he strangled her. He would drop her body off off of Interstate 70 in Illinois. And of that year, since 1990, like I said, she was kidnapped in February. Her body wasn't found until September of that year. Wow. Now, the timeline of when she was actually murdered, that I don't know. I don't think it was close to that September mark because what people realized with Robert, what investigators, I should say, realized is that it wasn't like he kept them for that long. Like he he pretty well abused them very regularly to the point that like it was almost like a cycle. Like you, he, he only could get his use out of them for like a few weeks at max, you know. Jesus. Yes. So it just continued to spiral. Now, like I said in the beginning, it's reported that he killed 
upwards of around 50 women. But I do want to tell you guys a little bit about one case, and that's the case that I like to refer to as the woman that got away. We love the woman that got away. There is somewhat of a good ending to one of the stories here. So in 2015, what ended up happening is, so that's what I'm saying, like you might be familiar with some of these photos because it really extends out to even nowadays time. Is that in 2015, police released a photograph because like I said in the beginning, you guys, he really liked to photograph everything. So they released this picture because they thought that this was going to be another victim. While they didn't have the body of this victim necessarily, they wanted to be able to see if this was, in fact, a missing person that they could identify and surmise that he had also murdered them. So to their surprise, though, once they posted this, this photograph on Facebook, a woman named Pamela came forth and she's like, that's me. Holy shit. Yeah. So police are like, oh, my God, like there's a living person. Like, they're not just dead. So she's like, yes, that's me. And then her story is bananas. So she goes into detail about how she was also hitchhiking, of course. People, mm -hmm. do not, do not, do not hitchhike. Don't do it. Just don't. So while she was hitchhiking, I guess she's trying to go find her brother in a nearby town, city, something like that. She's like, okay, I'm going to go find my brother. Maybe he ran away or something. I, don't, I didn't get all those details. But he, she gets picked up by Robert along the way. And one of the, the craziest things that she said, Darcy, guess what his, he had like this little sign that he like made himself in his truck. Guess what it said? I just realized my mic hasn't been plugged in this entire time. Oh my God. No, it's okay. I'm going to plug it in and we'll continue, but that's not one of the stickers. That's a lot to say. We're keeping that in the recording, just so you know. Oh. Does my audio sound a little better? A whole lot better. Oh, I'm so glad I haven't been talking this entire time. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. He had a sticker. So he had like a little like it was like a sign that he made himself like with his own like handwriting that he like placed in his like the like his window area for people that got into his truck. You want to know what it says? It didn't say baby on board, did it? <laughs> no. <laughs> Literally, it says cash, ass, or grass. Nobody rides for free. Oh god, I fucking hate those signs. I see those signs on some people's cars. And I'm like, so you're not getting any of those things. Got it. Support, support Pamela. She's just over here like, well, I don't have cash and I don't smoke weed. So guess what it's going to be? Another car. No, she's like, I guess, I guess I have to sleep with this man, basically. And the crazy thing is, is that photograph that he took to you guys was like, can you imagine, like, as a person, like, I mean, granted, I can't imagine hitchhiking in general, but she's hitchhiking, gets into this, like, truck driver's truck, sees that sign, looks over, and all of a sudden, he's snapping a photograph of her. That's where the photograph comes in, you guys, because, like, almost immediately once she, got, she gets into the truck, he's taking her picture. 
And she, of course, confronts him. Is like, why did you just take my picture? And then I'm going to use air quotes here. She says, quote unquote, in case I get robbed. Okay. Mm. That's ironic. But I I never know who's going to rob me on the road. Like, sure, dude. This female here by herself is going to rob you, whatever. But like I said, since she had no money and did not smoke weed, she then proceeded to have consensual sex with Robert. Gross. Anyways, nobody really knows what it was that she did differently compared to everybody else. But for whatever reason, for once, Robert dropped her off at the bus station like she asked. She just wanted to get to the bus station, so he dropped her off there. And like I said, I don't know what she did, what she said, nothing like that to change his typical. Maybe it was the fact that she was willing and it wasn't at that point then a sense of like, oh, I'm going to kidnap her and torture her. But even then, it doesn't make sense because I know a lot of people, especially not in the U.S., don't understand the term. Like, I'm sure you've heard it like lot lizard, Darcy, like I said earlier, is that. What people call lot lizards are female sex workers, basically, that tend to hang out more in those truck stop areas. So these people were, these women were technically also willing, but he still would kidnap and torture them. That's where I'm like, I don't know if it really makes sense, the fact that she was willing at first, why he didn't continue to torture, rape, and kill her. I don't know. She's not a sex worker, and sex workers aren't doing it for free to get a ride. Like, you have to pay for that service. You know what I mean? I mean, though, maybe, maybe it was a combination then of the fact that she wasn't a sex worker, but she was willing. I don't know. There was no fun there. Like, she sounds like if she confronted him about taking her photo, maybe she just sounds like. It, I don't know. I mean, I, I've seen this in a few other serial killer cases where it's like, when a woman comes off too headstrong, it puts them in a, a tizzy and they're like, oh, and I'm not attracted to that. Or on the flip side, it sends them into a rage and they go overboard or they go they double down. You know what I mean? It's, it's kind of like a one or the other. There's really no middle ground because a lot of times in these situations, the female, dominant female figure or figures in their life play a huge role on how they view other females in life. And that's not always true. Sometimes it's the male figures that paint that picture for them. But a lot of times it is the female figures. Like you see that a lot in Ned Kemper. You see that a lot. I Maybe not really Ted Bundy. Ted Bundy was an anomaly because he, for the most part, had a regular childhood. We're not going to get into that. But you see that a lot in some of these people. So I don't know. It could have just been an off situation. She could have just been a lucky person. Yeah. I mean, truly, that's where I was like, it, it just doesn't make sense. But I just think it's crazy that thanks to modern day, like social media, even too, that we're still still finding stuff out about him you know maybe he just had a quota he had to be in illinois at 3 p.m and he just didn't have the time to <laughs> dedicate to her no offense to her who knows pamela just got really lucky though and i think it's she truly really knows pam. that to say no not you pam but i mean like i said i can't imagine how she feels knowing now what pure danger she was in 
in that being in that truck. Yeah, absolutely. I, I can't imagine and just, I mean, I'd be the most grateful person on the planet, truly, the fact that I'm still alive. Mm-hmm. So there are, like I said, they were able to surmise and guess that there's around 50 killings that he did, if not more. But how he ends up getting arrested is what links him to Arizona. So in April of 1990, he was arrested in Arizona off of a highway kind of near Casa Grande area. So how he gets arrested is kind of crazy too. So a state trooper was going along and they saw this truck on the side of the road with their hazard lights blinking. And usually it's just, you know, something's going on with the truck, whatever. But for whatever, for whatever reason, a state trooper was like, I feel like maybe maybe they need help. Maybe I'll pull over and just check on them. Let me just check on them and make sure they don't need my help. So he approaches the truck, and as he's approaching the truck, he hears a woman screaming, just screaming her head off. That's right. And, of course, immediately he draws his gun. He's concerned. He pulls, He kind of gets up to the side of the, like the driver's side, and is just absolutely horrified by what he sees. So there's Robert Ben Rhodes in the driver's side area. And there's this woman who is literally, you guys, she has a horse biddle, like brittle biddle. It's like the thing that goes in the, the bit that goes in the mouth all around her head. She's got it chained around her neck. She's got a chain hanging off it with a padlock. She's got various different cuts on her lips. She's got fresh red welts covering her entire body, and she's just screaming for her life. So this poor state trooper is by himself. He immediately, of course, gets Robert out of the truck. He's like, I'm placing you under arrest. We're, you know, let me figure this out because it's just like pure chaos that he's now unfolding. And so he arrests Robert, puts him in handcuffs, puts him in his police car, Puts him even in the, he seatbelts him into the police car. And you guys, like, this is how crazy Robert is. So within the time of him doing that, getting him in the police car, getting him cuffed and everything, goes back to check on the female, who's completely just, like, beside herself. Because, I mean, obviously, trying to calm her down. He's by himself. He's trying to just, he's got the guy taken care of, which is Robert, going over to the female, trying to get to her to just, even just say who she is and what's going on. Within that time frame, Robert was able to not only get his arms from out from behind him, somehow in front of his body, unbuckled himself. And I think they said he was even able to get out of one of his handcuffs, something like that. And there was an interview that they did with the police officer. And he's like, it was very easy if Robert, he could have honestly, like, somehow taken control of the situation. He could have. A had gotten in his truck and driven off and like that was it. It could have been it could have been chaos. It really could have been. But luckily, around that same time that Robert was doing his Houdini act to try to get out of his cuffs and whatnot, another state trooper finally shows up. So now there was at least two of them. So one could keep an eye on Robert while the other one goes and talks to the woman. So the woman's name is, let me pull it up, it's Katie Ford. She was 27 years old. And unfortunately, she was kind of known as I will say like a lot lizard. So that's where he picked her up as a truck stop. She endured 
just a very short amount of torture, which, I mean, we can guess that she eventually would have been his next victim as well. So he immediately was put under arrest for the aggravated assault. I think he's like aggravated assault, aggravated sexual acts or something like that of her and would be put on trial where he would be sentenced. I think it was like six years in jail or prison. Mm -hmm. Now, keep in mind, you guys, this is the first time Robert's been arrested. So police don't know about all these other cases. They don't know. So while they're while he's in custody for the whole incident with Katie Ford, police in Arizona, they just they had they said they had this feeling. They're like, I feel like there's something more. Because when they start going through his truck, quote unquote, his torture chamber, they find what they would call as a rape kit. We've all kind of heard of that before, where it would contain things like, let me see, I wrote it down here somewhere. is all the lists of things that they found oh there we go so there are chains cords whips leashes as well as dildos clips pins and fish hooks that had been clearly used on individuals genitals okay to be fair though Unless there's genitalia attached and you as a police officer know, like you're not going to know if that fish hook was in someone's genitalia. We only know because you told us, but I'm just saying, I'm just saying. Yeah. So, hey, it just, it really kind of continues to spiral from here when it comes to, un, to, to figuring out all, like I, like I told you guys, some of the few cases that we know about, like I said, there's, there's more to it. But this is that was what started it all and where he got his name as a truck stop killer was when he was finally arrested in Casa Grande. So what police did was they reached out because they realized that Robert Ben Rosebro was from Houston, Texas area. So they reached out to the police in Houston, Texas, of course, because they're doing their job and they're trying to figure out, okay, who is this guy? You know, we don't know. Him, so who is it? Texas doesn't blame him. <laughs> yeah. Doesn't. For everyone in Texas, I know you don't claim him. It's okay. Yeah. So, believe it or not, you guys, Houston was already aware of Robert Ben Rhodes. Oh. So, I wasn't able to get as much of this research as I wanted to in regards to this case in particular. But I guess in previous years, I forget what year it was. Robert was actually under investigation for a girl who had also gotten away. This isn't the same one as Pamela. This is a different girl. So this girl, similar situation, similar, you know, got picked up. I think she was hitchhiking. She was able to escape by getting out of one of her, like, handcuffs, like one of her restraints. And she ran. And she was able to get help. The saddest thing about this case, though, is what Robert was really good at doing was he was really good at pinpointing, like, the vulnerable, too. So not only if you're hitchhiking, you're vulnerable, but even the the lot lizards, the, the sex workers and stuff like that. Not saying that all of them are like this, of course, by any means. But, you know, a lot of times some of them are dealing with a lot of mental health issues or developmental issues where, you know, they just they don't have that support system like everyday people have. 
So she was kind of along the lines of the same, like she had a couple maybe mental health disorders or she was just developmentally not all there. So when she went to police and told her story and stuff like that, she, of course, was on the list of suspects. When they pinpointed him as a list of suspects, though, they asked her, basically, they're like, was this the man that did this to you? Was, did he torture? Did he rape? Did he do all these things to you? She looks at Robert Ben Rhodes and tells them, no, it wasn't him. Because the level of torture and fear and the hell that this girl went through, even with the investigators that were with her at the time, she was able to later say that I was so scared that I felt like there wasn't enough police there to protect me from him. Wow. So, and also, really, this is a year before. If she had said something, though, maybe it would have saved some people's lives. I don't know. And it's sad to think that way. But, you know, at least when he finally was caught, like, there was already some sort of background on him. So, of course, that being said now, too. So, with Houston saying that about him, like, well, he was under investigation. Like, that makes a lot of sense. Because if you're finding him with this female in his truck, we had this female come up and say that, you know, this thing, like, very similar thing happened to her. So it had to have been him, you know. And when we talk about MOs and stuff like that, like I was saying, the photographs, you guys. And then he liked to cut women's hair. And another kind of really creepy, cringy thing was the photographs. He cut their hair. Like, he basically butchered their hair. And he also really enjoyed shaving their pubic hair. Okay, that's a weird one, but all right. Yeah, and I, I think some of it, too, is like he kept it as like a souvenir or something. Where it was like, because, you know, killers, especially singer girls, we see like they have things that they like to keep. Yeah. Yeah. So Once that was trophies. And it, it sounds like it sounds like, I mean, maybe keeping the hair is a trophy for him. I think the Polaroids or the pictures are more of a trophy for him. That's not new. We've seen other people do that. I think the cutting of the head is just a way of humiliation. And as you've said before, that's what he gets off on. So he loves to humiliate them by taking something like, for most women, your hair is a point of pride. And it's something that you hold very near and dear. Like, I cut my hair short one time in sixth grade and never did it again. Like, (laughs) I was like, this was a bad idea walking out of the salon. And here we are, and I have never, I I get it trimmed, but I've never cut it short again. But, I mean, that's, I think it's a point of humiliation. The pubic hair thing, I think maybe that's a preference. Like, I don't know if he just enjoys them being shaven. I have no idea. But that's a little, that's, like, really creepy in its own way, in its own, like, of all the things that he's doing, that's something he's, like, well, we got got to keep the landscape. The garden's got to stay clean, you know. (laughs) Gotta get out the hedge trimmers here, you guys. Yeah, exactly. But I did want to say one thing. To the point before of the girl who went to the police and I incorrectly identified him, I think that is also a part of her brain shutting that trauma down and being like, if we acknowledge that we see this face again, we might actually have a total breakdown. And we're gonna we're gonna go blue screen. 
and we're going to blur it out. Like there are people who talk about traumas of all kinds that's like they have they were so clearly face to face with their perpetrator, but their brain kind of just like erases it for some reason to be like, if you can't see it, it's going to help us stay sane to a degree. So there could be some of that happening as well. Yeah, I mean. You remember when I did that research one time on disassociative amnesia, it's kind of similar to that, you know, it's like you'd be amazed at the brain and the way that it preserves itself. It You don't personally realize that it's doing it while it's doing it. So, yeah, I mean, that's a completely valid point. And so, you know, with all this stuff happening and with authorities, you know, and that's the that's a good thing. If it's good police work, you guys, like we all know, like, I mean, there's bad police work and good police work. In his case, they really did do some good police work in the sense that they communicated amongst themselves and other police departments and getting the FBI involved and stuff. They were able to really look back, like I said, at his truck logs to try to like piece all these different parts together. Because like hard. I said, like it's it's hard to do a serial, a serial killer when you have a timeline where the body is discovered and that's it could be years later that the body is discovered compared to when the crime actually occurred. So to be able to piece all those things together, like in my head, I remind it reminds me of like we all know like there's that meme out there of like it's from I think it's oh God, it's always sunny in Philadelphia, that one guy. And he's got like the whiteboard behind him and he's got like all the strings attached. Oh, Charlie he's like, Day. He's just like, this is it. <laughs> and i'm like that that's like what it is to try to figure out a serial killer you guys because you have yeah all these missing parts and pieces and you have different things connecting to different things and that's literally i can just imagine this person's office probably whoever's like the lead investigator for him trying to literally figure out how they can like connect him to various different cra- so the crazy thing is though that i wanted to touch base with you guys on is that so now, like I said, we're at the point of him being in custody, at least. So he's not able to can, like get do any more crimes. They're trying to piece together something beyond just the aggravated assault and aggravated sexual assault of Katie Ford. They somewhere along the lines of like in that process, we're able to finally link him to those initial crimes of the I think it was Walk- Walters and Zykowski. And I believe it was because a big thing, too, is that he was, what do I, I want to say? He, could, he confessed to it. So let me see. Hold on. As I'm reading through my notes, I'm looking, and it seems to be like what ends up happening, and from what I'm trying to remember from like all the research that I pounded into my brain about Robert Ben Rhodes, is that slowly he begins to start confessing to certain crimes. So while in custody for the case of Katie Ford, they were able to actually get a warrant. So believe it or not, you guys, he was a truck driver, but he had an apartment listed under his name in Houston. So finally, the FBI was able to get a warrant to search his apartment. Now, here's the kicker, Darcy. This is what I haven't told you. This entire time, this is all occurring. Robert Ben Rhodes is married fucking knew it did he have kids i don't know if he had kids or not but he was married definitely of course he's fucking married always fucking married so 
sources were saying too that her name is Debbie, which I think is great. Debbie, his wife. Debbie. Does Debbie know? Debbie knew. Yep. Wow. Debbie knew. So, but at least she wasn't able to get rid of all the evidence out of that apartment, you guys, because sources were saying that she was going to, she was trying, he's telling her basically that she needs to go to the apartment. Because this apartment basically is like his own personal stash of all of his stuff, right? So they get into this apartment and there's things there that they're just absolutely horrified about this. So they, of course, there's more torture devices there. There is more, there's like a boatload of photographs that they're going through of everything. And there's hairs, pubic hairs. There's, I guess he liked to save souvenirs. Like he was really into the whole, like, like being able to look back and remember these things that he did. So his favorite thing too, which I thought reading, it was kind of weird. He loved having white towels to clean up all the blood. Oh, as kind of like his own cool tie-dye bullshit. I don't know, yeah. So they had all these white towels that they were trying to figure out. They're just like star. (laughs) So and they of course found the pornography, the sadism, like all that stuff. They were able to be like, wow, this guy's a sexual sadist and he's out actually murdering people. So during his time of when he was in prison for the sexual assault and stuff like that for Katie, they were able to pin him securely to Regina K. Walters. And I believe it was because uh, when they found her body, they were able to find it in a decent amount of time frame. And I don't know if it was DNA evidence or if it was the photograph evidence or if it was all of the above. He was then tried and convicted in 1994 of the murder of Regina K. Walters and was sentenced to life in prison. So, yay. Yay. I feel like there's a blood coming. But it's not until 2012, you guys. Years and years later, like, they're trying the best. Investigators are trying the best they can. And I don't know if it's because the simple fact that he was actually really good at getting rid of these bodies or what. Because it's it's hard when you're trying to, to take somebody to court for a murder, like, without having a body, you know? It's really hard because you have to have that concrete physical evidence. And Otherwise, that was circumstantial. Just, right. So at least with, because Regina K. Walters, was her body was found, they were able to piece more of that together with him through photographs and whatever souvenirs he kept. So in 2012, though, he wouldn't be convicted of those first murders, which were that of the newlywed couple. Until 2012, you guys. Just recently. Not too long ago. I guess it's, oh, like 11 years ago. But to me, that's not recently because I was already out of high school. 11. <laughs> yeah. That's, like, you graduated high school. <laughs> yeah. So he would, it was, oh gosh, Walsh and Zykowski. So that newlywed couple. So, and this is the thing that kind of, bothers me is that he was he basically was able to avoid the death penalty you guys and instead chose the route of taking another life sentence and i know that's like a difficult subject to talk about but in a case like robert ben rhodes like 
do you think, Darcy, that it was okay for him to avoid the death penalty? Honestly, I personally, here's my thing. I personally don't care about the death penalty because at the end of the day, it's like this. If they get the death penalty, they die sooner. They may kill themselves or someone may kill them before they can actually get executed. Some people stay on death row for years. And death row, in a sense, is nicer than actual jail. Like, you're in your own cell already. Like, it's a whole other world. Whereas if somebody just gets, like, 700 years, it's like they're going to be in probably a more dangerous prison. They're going to be in a maximum security prison. And depending on their crimes, they may be a target for people, like people who do crimes against children. And they may, or if it's like a ton of hate crimes, you're not going to be the most popular against gangs in jail. Like, if you're going to spend the rest of your life confined, I personally don't care how you do it. Now, people will come for the whole, like, the dollars. Okay, fine. You're gonna, it's going to get paid anyway. We have the most amount of money going towards penitentiaries in the world. So whatever in America. It's more of a torture, in my opinion, if they have to live out that sentence. Like, it's already shitty. The people suck. Like, there are people in prison trying to better themselves. I'm not going to knock that, that 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 that's happening. And I have a lot of respect for those people who are actually trying to be better. But in his case, I kind of don't care. I don't care. I mean, would I have more satisfaction if he got the death penalty? Sure, because what he's doing time and time and time again is awful. Am I also the kind of person that's like, oh, bow, just a thought. We just do the same to him. <laughs> Can we just do like an eye for an eye, a tit for a tat? Like, yes. Like, can we just do, like, a Books of Blood thing where, I don't know if you've ever read Books of Blood or listened to the audiobook, but anyone who's listened to, like, Volume 1, the intro is, to make a long story short, this dude pretending to be a clairvoyant basically and like, opens up this portal between, like, the road to hell, like, the road to the other side, and they tear off all the hair on his body and all of the dead people from the other side, like, right on him and down to like his eyeballs and like everything and he becomes like the book of blood basically and uh, can we just like do that like that sounds great honestly yeah long-winded answer of saying i for an eye (laughs) i would agree too i'm like you know too bad society nowadays sometimes like not everybody sees that way but that's how i feel too is like you know we, we're we all going to die eventually. Nobody's going to live forever. Nobody is. So one way or another, this man's going to die anyways. And, you know, at least we know that he's not able to do anything else to anybody else. You know what I mean? And at least we have that sense of peace. But, you know, he's actually, just so you guys know, still alive to this day. So as far as I'm aware, Robert Benz Rhodes is still alive. So please correct me if I'm incorrect. But he's in his 70s now. So it's like, I think he's in his like mid to late 70s. And he's serving out his multiple life sentences in Illinois. And I think they're honestly still trying to connect him to 
the 50 plus murders he probably did. And I read in one of the articles that it was like, they speculate, I think, I don't know if I said this earlier, it was like one to three women a month that he was murdering. I mean, yeah, when you're kind of, there's been a couple other serial killers. Like there was one in California, like the I-7 or something killer. And when you have a mode of transportation, like you were talking about earlier, like his torture chamber was on the go, right? He didn't have he didn't have a place holding him down. So when you are just on the go like that, it's really, really easy, especially if you're looking for people specifically that are unfortunately society deems easy targets, right? Like they're not they're not as important as other people. So whether mm-hmm. it's a sex worker or whether it's a hitchhiker, or maybe it's a hitchhiking sex worker, God forbid, like you're in a population of people that's less important to some. You know what I mean? Well, and that's too where it's like to kind of sum up this this story with you guys is that I I kind of wanted to to really dig into more of like sexual sadism and some of the stuff that I've read up on him because even like looking at the aftermath, the interviews and stuff like that of like different investigators talking to Robert. I wanted to see, like, what was his mindset, basically. And in his mindset, he was doing no wrong, in a sense. Like, he was so nonchalant about it. You know, he knew that he was targeting people that were seen lesser in society, you know? People who were more in need because they were hitchhiking. They didn't have a vehicle and all this stuff. It wasn't like he was targeting a normal average, average person going out on out about their day or going into work like no like he was targeting these more you know at risk individuals and he just acted like he really didn't care like there was one person i think it was a a police officer an investigator that said that if he if he could describe what pure evil was it was being in the presence of robert ben rhodes And that's also something that I wanted to kind of pick your brain at, too, is that do you believe that there are people out there that are just purely evil or do you think that they're created that way? Like, do they just do things in their lives and stuff like that? Because this is a tricky case with Robert Ben Rhodes, because sure, he was kind of like a troubled kid, but there was nothing in there that said, like, you know, his mother abused him or his father abused him or all these things that happened to him as to why he is the way he is. Do you think there are some people that could possibly just be just an evil person? Sure. I mean, there's nothing that says that they can't. I mean, I am a huge believer that it's nature and nurture. It's never one or the other. But just as there are some people who are as much of a willing mark for no reason, there are people who I think are the exact opposite. You can't have yin without yang. You can't have heaven without hell. You can't have right without wrong. Because if you do, then there is no this. It just is. Right? Like, Mm -hmm. you can't appreciate the sunshine if you've never had a cloudy day. You know what I mean? So, yeah, I think that that it's entirely possible. You kind of see that a little bit with Ted Bundy. I mean, he generally had a fine childhood. I mean, 
there is some, you know, back and forth about like, well, it wasn't all sunshine and rainbows, but there's, again, in his case, there's nothing damning that proves like, why did he turn out the way he turned out? And sometimes that just boils down to the chemical chem, like the chemical compounds in their brain. And it's like, that's when I, like my scientific brain sides, like, oh my God, can we analyze it? Like what, what does their brain show? And I don't remember who it was. Er, there was a serial killer that everybody was super excited when he died to scan his brain. And when they did, it looked like a normal brain. They were all speculating it was going to be this, it was going to be that. And it wasn't any of it. And they were just like, oh. Which all that means is they're just like you and I. You know what I mean? So I don't know. I don't know enough about his past to really feel like I can say for sure if I think that he's purely evil or if he's a combination of factors. I can theorize based on the time frame he was roughly born in. I'm assuming if he's in his 70s now, that would what put him born in like the 50s? He's born actually in the 40s, so I think he's in his late 70s now. If not, because I was trying to think based off of when like these articles had come out about him, is that either in his late, I think he's, he has to be at least now in his late 70s, because one of the ones which we all know that I love all that is interesting. I just don't, I'll have to look and see what year the all, the all that is interesting article came out and basically add up from that time frame how old he would be. Well, if he was... If he was exactly 70, he would have been born in 53. So if he's older. So let me like, pull it up. He was born in 1945. Okay, great. So if we just look at where America was in 1945, you said his dad was in the military. You know, 1945 was like literally the Second World War. So if we think about if he grew up during that time period, you can kind of assume what life and upbringing he had. If his parent, if if there was nothing weird, the general consensus of like an authoritarian father, a housewife, mother. But that's the weird thing, though, because like his his father wasn't around long. So then that just begs the question: like, what was happening when dad wasn't around? Right. You know? Who? It was, like I'm not saying his mom was cheating on his dad, but it's possible. Yeah. Like. You don't know. Maybe she was overly faithful. Maybe she was somebody like some of these parents that are like obscenely like super religious and that can be harmful. Or maybe she just didn't care at all. So he had every whelm in the world. Anything he wanted to do, he could just go do because no one was telling him he couldn't. So it's a lot of things and I just don't know enough to give a definite answer. But I definitely believe someone could be born like the omen just to be super like field with it like yeah and then like you know i like i said before i was like i almost wonder too you know because like obviously his dad the way his dad died was being you know that he committed suicide after raping a 12 year old girl i was like was that like a characteristic that characteristic that they had in common was that sexual statism factor you know and then when you bring in traumatizing too (laughs) yeah and then, I mean, if you bring into the factor of maybe who his mom was, that's what I always wondered, too. I was like, you know, was she more of like that submissive, you know, like 
let his dad do whatever when he finally did come home, you know, that kind of thing. Because that's how I feel like Debbie, his wife, was. You know, she was aware of that, his sexual fantasies and how extreme they were and stuff like that. It was always like, just kind of let him do it, you know. And, you know, whether or not she truly 100% knew that he was murdering these people or these women, she she knew she could gather from like just the apartment and all that stuff that was there that this is what was happening and was just kind of like, well, okay, you know. And so there's like, and it's crazy because like, I was like, you know, when they, when they did some research on the sexual sadism stuff too, it was like, you know, they tried to like, they said they like interviewed like a hundred men that were sexual status and stuff like that. And like one of the number one things that I found fascinating was that, let me see, it was like 40% of these cases and these men that did these kind of things and have those kind of fantasies and stuff, they tend to lean more, 40% lean more to enjoying driving long distances and being on the road and doing all these things because it's like, there's no... There's no like end basically. And I don't know. It's just like, it's, that was a weird, like, okay, how does that 40%? Like, I mean, you, you can't say that they're all like truck drivers, but the fact that that's a characteristic that they share, you know, and an astounding out of the hundred sexual status, we're not even talking about murders, you guys, but hundred sexual status that they like researched and did all this stuff on, 75% were murders. So it's like, you know, there are, that is a small percentage where it's like, yeah, they they just carry out those fantasies and stuff like that. And that's it. And maybe that's a more healthier option, I guess you could say, out of all of it. But 75% take it to the extreme. Well, Shan, it's not all sexual sadists. <laughs> it's not all. But it's a lot, you know, and it's like, how how is we as like a human race and a society, you know, it's just hard because, like, you know, is it because people aren't open about, like, their needs and their fantasies and, you know, they don't have that healthy outlet? Or I don't know. Like, how do we avoid that 75% that ended up becoming murders, you know? Or is that just ultimately how it's going to be? I don't think it's ultimately how it has to be. I think America as a society has put such a censorship over sexuality that the rest of the world just doesn't have like the rest of the world just doesn't have that and we put so much shame on nudity and being any kind of sexually vocal you know there are different stigmas for men and women but as a combined total we do that we put so much pressure and we shame there's tons of shame behind that when being sexually honest and vulnerable is hard is almost one of the most vulnerable things you can do with a person because you're kind of telling them something you don't tell other people and if they shame you for it like you're probably more likely not to tell other people and you're going to bottle it down or if you find that you are attracted to something and then you hear people around you talking about it and you start to realize that you're weird because you're the only one that finds that thing attractive you're going to push it down and you're going to internalize it and like with any emotion when you do that and you don't express it or you don't talk about it it bubbles to the surface in in extreme and radical ways which we see time and time and time again with things other than just sex 
But as a society that does that, we are innately creating these oppressed par- like parts of the human body and the human experience that we just don't need to do. And yeah. I'm not saying like we have ourselves to blame, but we kind of do. And at the end of the day, it's like, that's why these people who do these kinds of things where it's like S&M or BDSM, there's like rules and there's things in place. And some people just don't want to follow those rules because they want to explore more. And sometimes whether it's on accident or it's on purpose, it goes to a point of no return. Yeah. And like you're saying too, it's like, you know, when you, when you bottle something up like that and you don't have somebody to talk to about it or a way to express it and stuff like that, it's almost like it, in a sense, like these kind of things bottle up in a sense, in the form of rage, really. And I think that's what it is, is that, you know, it's the fantasy that just gets out of control, you know? And another crazy thing that I'll, I'll kind of finally end on with you guys is that, also, too, when it comes to sexual status, they said that nearly half of them were married and that oftentimes, well, actually all the time, when it came to interviewing the partner, they were seeing as like just the compliant partner. So, you know, just them being like, well, they do it. So, you know, and instead of being that strong person to be like, OK, I see you have your needs, but that's not OK. And I'm not going to be OK with you being like that. And so them just being like almost just compliant and complicit in the act itself. They're just like, you know, I don't know. It, and that's a, that's a hard one. It's like, you know, obviously I've never been with somebody who's like that. And neither have you, Darcy, but it's like, how, how do you help the person that you quote unquote love if that's the way that they are, you know? And it's like, I don't know. It's so it's so tricky and so tough. And it's like, could have Debbie, his wife, maybe done something to help save all these women's lives? I don't know. You know, we don't know. But yeah, well, if she knew, she should have said something. So I think she knew and she's totally an accomplice. The hard part with what you said before that is they get satisfaction out of causing people pain and they like to see the uncomfort, like the uncomfortability in their face and like the pain and the fear. So when you have someone on the opposite end who's like a masochist who enjoys having pain inflicted on them, they're not going to get satisfaction out of that because somebody's enjoying it. Like people who go like dominatrixes, for example, they want to be handled, right? But someone who enjoys harming others and actually gets off by doing it doesn't want someone who wants that. Right. Which is hard. <laughs> and yeah. And it's like that's how you that's how you perform your part of those duties is you let someone do things to you that you probably don't want done. Whereas I feel like there is a bubble where that in a healthy relationship is talked about and it's discussed and it's there are rules and there are things in place. I'm not in that community and I'm not going to speak for them. So if you are, we would love to know. But I feel there is a bubble for that that is healthy. Yeah. 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 And like my hope is eventually that someday through just as society changing, changing in general is that, you know, certain cases can be avoided when it comes to going to the extremes like we've talked about. And maybe someday it will, maybe someday it won't. 
who knows? And that, you know, I'm curious to see too, as time goes on, obviously, like I said, Robert Ben Rhodes is still alive. Are we going to be able to piece together any more cases that he did throughout the entire country? Because he basically, in a sense, they believe he basically scattered bodies throughout the entire like country. So who knows, you know, and that's, that's the sad part is that, you know, he's getting towards the end of his life. So we may never know, but there is some sense of like this case is still kind of open, you know, maybe they'll have another picture that gets posted and we'll find somebody else or another victim or maybe somebody else that died out alive. But, you know, I just, I was blown away because it, you can really like just the, the, the sheer number that we talk about with these serial killers. And I gave you so much props, Darcy. Like it, like I said, you guys, being able to do research on a serial killer is not easy, not easy. And so bear with me. I know this wasn't the most smooth that I've done or the most, you know, sensical in a sense. But I appreciate any and all suggestions and I will do the best that I can when it comes to researching for you guys, if anybody wants any topics in particular covered, please still reach out to us. Like this one was a trip for me. And and I'm going to give Aaron some shit because he owes me because this was a hard one. <laughs> well, I want the Bermuda Triangle. I think you should do the Bermuda Triangle. Oh, see, that's, I could do that one. Like, see. I'm, I'm great at like historical researches and stuff. But when it comes to serial killers, I am going to give you the crown. yeah it's not all rainbows and butterflies and i'll be honest the way that america is going we're going to go more towards the handmaid's tale than we will any kind of sexual liberation but that's another soapbox for another episode (laughs) (laughs) i love me some handmaid's tale except for the last season that i'm on right now which is pissing me off i haven't finished it so don't tell me anything okay all right darcy If you guys want to check us out, you can find us on Instagram at TAKTV Podcast. You can find us on Facebook at Take a Killer to Brunch. You can also send us an email at TAKTV Podcast at gmail.com or go to our website, www.takeakillertobrunch.com. We're also on YouTube at Take a Killer to Brunch. So we will see you guys in the next one. Cheers. Cheers.